Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Commonplace, Conversations with Poets and Other People. I'm Rachel Zucker. Denez Smith is a Black, queer, pause writer and performer from St. Paul, Minnesota. They are the author of two full-length collections, Insert Boy, which won the Kate Tufts Discovery Award and the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Poetry, and Don't Call Us Dead, which was published in September 2017 and was longlisted and then shortlisted for the National Book Award. This episode is set to air on November 15th, which is the same day the winner of the National Book Award will be announced, so we'll all know soon. After loving Denez's first book, I read their second, Don't Call Us Dead, at the end of this past summer and reached out to see if Denez would come visit my class the day before they were reading with Morgan Parker at NYU on October 26th. Denez said yes. So I taught Denez's book and Morgan's book in both my undergraduate classes, and then Morgan and Denez visited and read poems and answered students' questions. It was an amazing class, and I'll make some of the audio from the class available as a patron extra. I've been thinking about so many of the things that Denez and Morgan said in my class. Am I taking in three times as much art as I'm putting out? Am I a good literary citizen? How and when do I turn to form, and how can I return to writing as play rather than work? After the class, Denez and I went to a recording space at NYU and recorded the conversation you're about to hear. It was such a pleasure talking with Denez about their poems, the sonnet, MFAs, their life in Minneapolis, and so much more. Denez is warm, smart, enthusiastic, candid, and funny. Early on in the episode, Denez recommends a whole bunch of younger writers and books that are essential to them. Links to these books can be found at commonpodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter and find out how to become a patron. The day after our conversation, Denez gave a master class at NYU on the sonnet. It was a great presentation and discussion. Thank you to Denez and NYU for allowing me to record it. The sound quality isn't terrific because I just used my phone, but what Denez says about sonnets is fascinating. If you want to listen to it, it will be available to everyone on our Patreon site, patreon.com slash commonplacepodcast. Patrons will have exclusive access to audio of Denez reading poems from Don't Call Us Dead, as well as some of their new poems. Patrons will be entered in a raffle that contains Denez's books, A Wreath for Emmett Till by Marilyn Nelson, which is a beautiful, powerful crown of sonnets that Denez discussed in their sonnet master class, and copies of Lucille Clifton's Collected Poems, which is one of the books Denez mentions as essential. Many thanks to HMH Books for Young Readers for Nelson's book, Yes Yes Books for Smith's Insert Boy, and Grey Wolf Press for Smith's Don't Call Us Dead, and to BOA for Clifton's Collected. BOA would like you to know that they're getting ready to launch a special 30th anniversary ebook edition of Lucille Clifton's book Good Woman. It will be available for sale in April. The ebook will have a new forward by Araceli Skirmai and previously unpublished photos of Lucille and her family, courtesy of the Clifton Estate. This will be the first time the memoir Good Woman is available in ebook format. 
Boa is hoping this new ebook will help keep Clifton's legacy alive and make her work accessible for a new generation of poetry lovers. Thank you to all the publishers who publish these essential books and who give us copies of these books for our beloved patrons. Thank you to our patrons and to all our listeners. Okay, before we dive in here, a few things. Dinez and I talk about problems with MFA programs, and I think this is an important, necessary conversation and one that will probably come up again on Commonplace. I'll also say that while I don't think any MFA program is perfect, not all MFA programs are created equal. And my experience teaching in NYU's MFA program has mostly been extremely positive. I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to teach and learn along with the extraordinary students at NYU, many of whom I've kept in touch with, three of whom are producers on this show. My relationships with my students are profoundly important to me, and I hope my students have felt supported and encouraged by me over the years. Second, this episode has some curse words, and Dinez uses the N-word, and, I've always wanted to say this, this episode acknowledges the existence of sex. And now, here's the amazing, wonderful Dinez Smith. So this is a really interesting one for me in the sense that um, I love your work. Oh, I've, you. I've been really excited to talk to you, but you and I have never met in person. Mm -mm. And we, because of Tabia, we never even really... Uh, we don't know the community. Yeah, we have never even communicated. Mm -hmm. So it's a funny thing. And I'm kind of just like wanted to put that out into the air, like what it's like to be... Um, what it's like to be in a room with someone who, on some level, you feel like you know because you're their reader and mm. you've been thinking about it a lot, but you don't really know. Like, mm. I don't, we don't know each other. Um, and I think my students felt like that a little bit, too, talking to you. Um, and you must get that from being on this tour. Like, people who feel that they know you in some way that they don't know you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, I think especially uh, writing the type of, like, you know, confessional or testimonial poems that I write, I think uh, it creates a certain, and I think it's part, to me, hopefully, I think that's like kind of a, like, good for me to hear back that yeah. the poems are doing what I wanted to do, which is creating an intimacy with the reader um, and sort of offering up a, like, version of myself that hopefully feels full, um, you know, that is humorous and also, like, sad, but also joyous and angry and, like, all the things that human Dinez experience. I hope that poem Dinez gets to go through too. Um, yes, yeah, so I think it's a very common thing, but like, I think that's good. You know, then I'm like, okay, cool. We can start at step number two. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Morgan was just talking about, I, I don't know if you were in the room when she said this, but one of the students um, said that they'd seen her at a reading, I think it was soon after the election um, at Housing Works and that everybody was asking her like, Morgan, I'm so sad. You know, I'm so upset. What should we do? Mm -hmm. And um, and Morgan was saying, like, you know, this is a question. This kind of question is something that she gets a lot. And it's a, it's not a question she likes very much. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what should we do? Like, And Morgan was saying, like, my job is to, you know, 
talk about my feelings. I it is I don't know what we should do about education, about mm-hmm. institutionalized racism, about you know any of these other things. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask you like, what are the questions on this tour that you're getting that that are coming up a lot for you that you're not super they don't seem like the right questions to yeah. you um i think i get a lot of i think i also get the what should we do question a lot mm-hmm. um i get a lot of well-meaning white folks asking me what should i do um and like looking for like marching orders yeah um which i don't think is my place um i i offer my like meager <laughs> my like meager advice um i send them to other people who i think have better advice for them mm-hmm. um and tell them like books that i think they could read <laughs> mm-hmm. uh videos that they can watch um but i uh i don't know i'm interested in people and i think like maybe that's my frustration is that sometimes people read the work and I think sometimes we're just like I'm just trying to tell the reader to like have agency, do mm-hmm. something, you know, and like, and I'm just hoping like you know I think that is the wrong question to ask after reading the poems. It's like I think I've already said what you can do, um, or I think I've already said figure out what what you can do, you know, figure that out for yourself. Um, See, so yeah, I hate that question. I hate the I hate the what can we do question. Are there other questions that I've been getting that I don't? I think I always hate questions that are about um i hate uncomplicated questions about performance Mm. um i think a lot of folks um experience have experienced my work firsthand through uh youtube or you know some performance video um i do take a lot of pride in being a good performer of my work um and you know a, a good reader of my work and then also sometimes elevating that to performance um but uh, I'm like rather unentertained by the questions that people tend to ask related to it um, because it's usually um, them making some type of judgment about performance and like sort of asking me like, well, what's it like? Like, I think one of the questions I've got was, what's it been like to transition to the page? And yeah. I really just wanted to like snatch that sentence out of the air and throw it away because I just was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I've always written on the page, you know, sure, I like did start as a spoken word artist, but I was also 16. Um, And by the time I was, you know, publishing poems, I was publishing poems and that was very early in my life and I was considering the page at that point. So I think this like sort of false dichotomy between um, performance and written or like between the spoken and written word um, is rather uninteresting to me. Or I think it can be interesting. I just don't think folks ask the interesting questions. I thought maybe we were done with like, which is better, Mm -hmm. you know, the page or the, you know, the voice, Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like, you know, so many of um, the most amazing poets are coming out of a performance background Mm -hmm. and um, or less so. Um, going to a performance hmm. space or at least um, engaging with some of the questions that are more present for performance artists than for whatever page posts that I just feel like it is just it feels it feels like as much a marker of I guess age hmm. or 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 experience or, or where you're coming from to ask that question that feels like a kind of telling one um, uh like the word I, someone had to define the verb adulting to me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. It's a good word. I love that word. Yeah. Like, do you, do you use that word, adulting? 
Uh, I don't, but I think I often have the thought of like, I am being an adult right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, wow, I must be like an old adult if someone has to explain to me that there's a new word called adulting because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Anyway, um, what are some of your favorite questions that you've been asked or that have like surprised you a lot without offending you? Ooh. Um, I say I'm um, so much. Oh, now I, I can't. I noticed that my mom told me that the other day. I, oh, there was a question the other day. What was it? It was so sexy. Crap, I don't remember. Anything about form, I love Mm -hmm. talking about. Like, I could cry and weep about sonnets all day Uh and how important that form is to me and to the book. Um, Anything that's thinking about, like, humor or, like, play or duende and duality in poems, I really Mm -hmm. like talking about. Um, So I think there have been a couple questions that have come around that. Um, And I'm also, like, down, like, my favorite question is like when young folks ask me who else they should be reading. Yeah. You know, and that's my favorite question. It's just to like rattle off more poets for people to get into. So yeah, anything like that. But I think when folks, I think I get so many of the like sort of lackluster performance questions that when there is a question that's like, ah, finally somebody who like read the book um, and is not asking me about YouTube. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Then that always feels like, thank God. Okay. Let's start with, who you're reading and who everyone should be reading. And then I have a, I have a question I've been wanting to ask you about the sonnet. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think this was like a, a particular, a, a, it's a spectacular time for poetry. Um, as Kava Akbar says, uh, it is a golden age for poetry mm-hmm. and I'm very much on team golden age for poetry. Um, so I think any book that was released this fall, <laughs> um, or this year, um, you know, from people that we've already talked about in this interview, Morgan Parker, uh, Kava Akbar's book, uh, Calling a Wolf a Wolf, Morgan Parker's being uh, There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce. Um, Eve Ewing's uh, Electric Arches is fabulous. Um, Javier Zamata's Unaccompanied is breathtaking. Uh, I'm just started Rachel McKibbins's Blood. Um, almost missed my train stop off those pumps. Uh, I oh god what's it? is it Anais Duplin I think that's how you say her name um, but they're a black woman poet they're on the on that on that one Brooklyn press that has Brooklyn in it uh, <laughs> okay that's many of them probably um, oh god I need to know her we'll look book. it up it's like yeah yeah I, I actually yeah I'll do it. it yeah it is Anais Duplin take this stallion. By oh. Brooklyn Arts, and it's on Brooklyn Arts Press. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, there's, I think there's just an immaculate amount of work that's mm-hmm. out there right now. Shay McRae's new book, mm-hmm. um, In the Language of My Captor, is really wonderful. Um, Chen Chen's book, um, mm-hmm. When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a List of Further Possibilities. Um, I'm obsessed with like the individual poems of Shira Ehrlichman and Angel Nafis, and I can't wait for new collections from both of those poets. Um, I'm obsessed with like my friends, like Franny Choi. Um, I think Franny Choi, I think, is America's greatest poet, and um, I think she can do no wrong. Uh, I read Joshua Jennifer Espinosa's book last year in 2016, and I still haven't stopped reading it. Um, there's a poet by the name of Jai Nichelle. Um, 
who doesn't have a book yet, but whose work that I find online, I find it to be very, very exciting. And I'm very um, excited for um, for if and when the collection comes out from Johnny Shell. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of good, just good, good poets. And the list goes on and on and on and on yeah. and on and on and on. There's just so much good work out there right now. I, and so I agree, and I, I agree with Kava too. Like it mm. is really feels like a golden age of poetry mm -hmm. and you could just spend all of your time reading the brand new books mm -hmm. um, of these amazing poets that you're mentioning and so I guess another question I have is is there someone really old or some some kind of field of poetry or place that you go back to that isn't new work and, or do you feel like this is really sustaining to you and um, hmm. it's okay to just stay is there are there any problems with only reading new work. Yes, most definitely, uh -huh. you know? Um, and I think I just like sort of champion the new work because I like hope that it leads people to the old work. Mm. Um, and you know, you can always buy, um, you can always buy James Baldwin. You can always buy, um, I don't know, I just think it's important to champion new voices. Mm. Um, but I'm obsessed with, you know, there are collections by, uh, both old and newer by like Ross Gay and Araceli Zirmai, by Cornelius Eady, um, by Gwendolyn Brooks, by Essex Hemphill, um, by D.A. Powell, um, Sharon Olds that like I like read. I think old books are like just as, or not old, what is what is old? Right, I don't know, what right. is contemporary, you know? Um, is like Wind in a Box by Taryn Taze an old book? I don't know, but I know it was very like informative to me and it feels old to me because it feels like I've been reading that as long as I've been reading poetry. Yeah. Um, is there a single volume that you come back to over and over and over again more than other other books? Ceremonies book? by Essex Hemphill. Uh -huh. um, Please by Jericho Brown. Mm. Still very contemporary. Um, I've been um, I've been I'd like carry around. Uh, well, not now because my I'm traveling and my back can't handle it. Um, but usually I have Lucille Clifton's collected works on me, mm. so I can just dive into her. Whenever I can. Um, Brutal Imagination by Cornelius Eady. Uh, Rose by Lee Young Lee. Mm. Um, Satan Says. Mm -hmm. It's a big work. Uh, yeah, I, I, li I love books. And I think I, I don't know, I think I like they're all scattered throughout my house. I just like to touch them and look at them. But um, I think I never really stop reading a book, right? I, th I think I just, there are often times where I think like, if I, I, a book will come to me for a season, you mm. know, and it'll be back in my life for a month and I'll just be sort of slowly picking through the poems wherever I'm around my house, walking around, wearing some flowers or something like that. <laughs> right, right. I'd, lo I, I, I'd love to hear about your particular relationship with the sonnet and especially um, interested, like you talked earlier and we'll include that part hopefully in the, in the conversation as well about the ways in which form can help you um, when you're in a difficult situation or, or, or you know, it, it, you, you had sort of talked about how it can help you to say more things or things that you didn't expect to say. And I'm wondering though, in particular about the sonnet, like do you feel like there's a kind of sonnet intelligence or that there's something that happens to you when you engage the sonnet or a crown of sonnets or like why do you, what's your particular relationship with the sonnet? Yeah, I think the sonnet requires me to uh, be athletic in a way um, mm -hmm. that I typically am not. I think to left, when left to my own devices in free verse, I tend to be rather long-winded. Um, or at least right now, I'm discovering that, you know, when you let me go, I'll write a long poem. 
um, and it'll be thick, and it'll take forever to read, and <laughs> forever to edit. Um, and so with the sonnet, I like the forced brevity that a sonnet um, makes me go towards, and it makes me make stronger choices in writing. It makes me surprise myself. I can't rely on my old tools. I can't luxuriate within a conversational tone, really. Um, I have to get to the meat. I have to get to the music um, when I'm writing sonnets. And so they really just open um, something up, especially for me, sonnet sequences um, or sonnet crowns, uh, depending. Um, and also variations of the sonnet. Um, not it's a lot of things I write are some more sonnet-ish than sonnets. Uh, and the, they just, it offers such a limited meditation that it has no choice, I think, but to be powerful and to propel itself and to be athletic and to be limber and to be curt and to cut. Um, I think the sonnet is just the perfect little form and I think it lends itself towards, when I think of things that weigh heavy on the heart, I think of the sonnet. Um, and that can be a good heaviness, that could also be um, a lethargic heaviness as well. Um, but yeah, sonnets are just the perfect little form. Interesting. Yeah, and I like I like the fact that you have to shut the hell up, uh-huh. <laughs> which is hard for me to do. And I like when and I hate when poets I feel like have like sort of um, solved the poem in like the middle of the poem and they keep going. And I like that sonnets cut you off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the student I was referring to in the class that there, a student recently wrote a villanelle mm-hmm. and. It, um, it was a very successful villanelle, I think, in part because the the content was about his or the speaker's father being an alcoholic and the father's father mm-hmm. being an alcoholic, and so there and the and their father was one of the rhymes, mm-hmm. um, and there so there was this sense of the repetition of the villanelle mm-hmm. was so inevitable, mm-hmm. and um, claustrophobic mm-hmm. that it 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 worked really well uh, with the content of the poem. But I've, I have never really written a successful villanelle or a sonnet. Mm. Um, and I find both of those forms to be differently difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, are there other forms? You had said like, yeah, the villanelle's kind of hard. Yeah, um, I don't know if I can. I've, I've never written a successful villanelle uh-huh. or one that did not come off as cheesy by the time it was all said and done. Um, I think the Sestina is a mm. great form. Yeah. Um, I don't often write in it. I often um will maybe start a draft uh, not mm, often is a big word Denise. uh sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i will start a sestina um and try to take it as far as i can but it really is just to like do that exercise and like is um are these like word choices i'm making as important to me as i think they are Interesting. um so sometimes i will like try to i write like half a sestina to know how i feel about some words um and to figure out if there are some if they are something i want to explore in a grander scale um, I also love the gazal um, as a form. Oh, it's so much fun to do. Um, I think there. Are, I think I've written like a couple like loose gazals or things that are like maybe thinking about the gazal but are not exactly gazals. Uh, yeah, uh, from yeah, sonnets are a big thing. And then I, I I like to play in invented forms. I like to sort of set up my own boundaries and my own little games for myself to see if I can, you know if I could be like this little mouse that like builds his own maze yeah. to figure out his way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, what would the Denez be if we could, if we could make like a, an invented form, but that one we would, you know, that everybody would write. Oh, um, a Denez would be, maybe that's like what summer somewhere is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eight, eight couplets. Um, 
eight couplets um, with a volta in mm. the in the either the final or the penultimate couplet, uh, and yeah, never more than eight syllables in a line. Yeah, that sounds oh, like, like a good note. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good challenge for it everybody yeah. listening <laughs> to write a Dinez. Um, there should be like a, like a sequ- then, then there should be another word for a sequence of Dinez's. Oh, but cause um, I like the idea of, you know, maybe, maybe it could be eight poems of eight couplets, no more than eight syllables. Oh, each. Oh, this is nice. Yeah. Oh, that's a Nezzy. That's, yeah. That oh, okay. I like it. I like it. I like it. So when you were um, talking to Morgan, which, by the way, was just so exciting. Oh, I love her. Um, you and, and she were both talking about, like, writing, you know, being in, being in a friendship, being mm-hmm. in a community, writing sort of back and forth. And um, I, I can't remember if it was you or Morgan who mentioned, like, giving, giving each other prompts. Mm-hmm. But I never got to ask, like, wait, is that, like, a real thing? Like, like straight up, like, you know, hey, Denez, mm-hmm. write this. Or, hey, Morgan, try this out. Or is it, was it more just, like, oh, my God, I just got this poem from Denez, and it makes me think I should try to write something, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think it's more organic than that. Mm-hmm. Or it's even sharing other things, you know? Um sharing pictures that are just like, I think, like, I know your poems. I think you would geek out over this picture of Diana Ross. Um, Or I think you would like this Sun Ra interview that I came across. Um, You know, here's this new Frank Ocean. This is this deep cut Frank Ocean jam. Like, do you Mm. know that this exists? Um, Don't you write to Frank Ocean? Like, you know, so it's just knowing, um, it's sort of just knowing what your friend's jams are, you know? Um, and being able to say, like, I know what makes your brain and your heart excited, so, like, let me send you something that might give you a little spark if you needed one today. Um, so those are the props, I think, maybe more that we're talking about. It's just that exchange of um, of knowledge and artifacts and um, how we know that those can possibly be useful on the other side. Almost like, you know, someone's dream poetry doctor. Like, I know what ails you and I know what makes you feel awesome. Mm-hmm. Take two of these yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, take two Frank Ocean songs or write some yeah. call me in the morning. Yeah. When, how did you meet Morgan? I, how did I meet Morgan? Um, at Cave Canem. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, at Cave Canem, um, which I think has been... Uh, a truly transformative space for myself and a lot of other black writers. And definitely, I think a lot of um, the circles um, that hold that, you know, encase and hold me um, were developed at Cave Cotton. When were you a fellow? I was a fellow. I first went um, in 2011. Um, so you get three years to go to Cave Cotton. So I went 2011, 12, and 2014 was my last year. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you, so what do you mean you get three years? Like you, you. Uh, so after, yeah. So the idea of Cave Canem is like you can't just stay around forever. You know, you gotta like learn what you gotta learn, and then mm. go out into the world and you know disseminate information, send other people to Cave Uh And so I, yeah. So you get five years uh, to go three times. Ah, okay. And then the third time you graduate. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. And who who were the. Um, you know, who are the kind of older poets or the instructor types who mm-hmm. were really important to you when you were there? Um, so all the instructors, and like these are people I should have said um, earlier in the interview. They, I, I read them all. 
Um, so when I was at Cave Canem, I got to work with uh, Cornelius Edie and Toy Derricott, the founders, mm-hmm. um, Terrence Hayes, uh, Patricia Smith, Chris Abani, um, Natasha Trushaway, Claudia Rankin, Nikki Finney, uh, Tim Siebels, um, oh, Library Van Cleef Satan. Um, who else is that kind of kind of issues? Angela Thomas, mm. um, Thompson, yeah, Angela Thomas, Angela Thompson. I went to high to college with. Uh, <laughs> hey, Angela, if you listen. <laughs> uh, who else was there? Um, I said Chris Abani, Lyra. I mean, this is amazing. That's, yeah, yeah. That's and more. Amazing. <laughs> Imas. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it was really, it was really some good times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and were, and were the things that that were most important to you when you were there? You know, it's funny because I I've, I've been talking to a whole bunch of poets who mm-hmm. have uh, whose lives have been deeply changed by Cave Canem, mm-hmm. um, and people have different. There, there were different things in the experience that were like essentially important to mm-hmm. each person. Um, but for you, was it more uh, the stuff that happened like in the room uh, where everybody was together, you know, in smaller groups outside of the room, in, in keeping in, mm-hmm. in contact um, after uh, the sessions were over? Like what, what or I mean probably all of it but yeah, yeah i'm just yeah, I wondering think it's all yeah. of it. i think it's exactly that it's all of it you know um the workshop was just as important as the late night spades game yeah you know um going there and writing poems is just as important as going there and laughing and you know being in conversation and being in a safe space to ask difficult questions about the work about ourselves mm. um about our community uh there is a there is a a spirit that is laid over that space that is sacred and kind of undescribable mm. um a sort of synchronicity that happens once you gather all those people in space that it's difficult to create anywhere else um and so yeah i like i like i would have never um met philip b williams who um is in my mind one of america's greatest poets and poetic minds Mm -hmm. um and has been a dear friend and a wonderful editor um i met him he was my mentor uh my first year at kava um so i was extremely grateful spaces like that but then also um, you know, even deepening my relationship with people that I already knew, like Nate Marshall um, or Angel Nafis, uh, meeting new people like uh, Sharif Shanahan and Morgan and so many other folks that I've met through Kaveh Kanem. Um, and that was so important. Uh, but also the workshop, I think, taught me uh, more about process. And I think I like let go of the idea that any individual poem is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I never wrote, until my last year, I never wrote poems at Cave Canem that I ended up using or publishing in any serious way, but I would typically just use the week to try out ideas, to try out techniques, um, to get good feedback about that work that then was applicable elsewhere. So I always felt like I wrote uh, my best poems immediately after I left Cave Canem. Um, and it wasn't necessarily about like writing the good shit there that week, but it was about using that week to learn, to grow, to accumulate knowledge, and then synthesizing all that to like just then write like two months of fire poems right after <laughs> Comic-Con. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that you began an MFA program and did not finish it. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, can you talk about that and why, uh, why'd you leave? Mm-hmm. Why'd you start? Why'd yeah. you leave? <laughs> um, and what, what didn't you get there? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it's, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many reasons for so many people that MFA programs are not like what you're describing at mm-hmm. Cave Canem. Um, but I'm wondering for you in particular, like what what were you looking for and and what wasn't there for yeah. you? Um, so I'll preface this by saying that like the MFA I went to, are, they are great people, mm-hmm. um, and I met great people there, uh, and they are awesome. So like, yeah. So just want to like sure. say that first. Yeah. Love a lot of people there. Um, but um, I went to the MFA because um, I thought I needed it. I, I was trying to figure out my relationship to academia, whether I wanted to teach in it or not. Um, a lot of people were telling me I didn't, quote, need an MFA. Um, but I was thinking about if I ever wanted to settle down and let somebody pay me a lot of money um, to teach at their university. And so I thought, let me go get an MFA. Let me go get a lot of money to get an MFA. Um, I over, I underestimated how unprepared I was to re-enter um, a Midwestern, predominantly white college town. Mm. Um, I had a very difficult time in undergrad. Um, I like studying. <laughs> I like uh, I like knowledge. I like talking about it and like accumulating it. Um, but I I need urban places with the diversity. <laughs> and the city that my MFA program was in could not offer that. In a very real way, I also didn't feel desired. It was like a weird place for my body. Um, and like I didn't have sex for a year and a half, which maybe uh, isn't always a huge thing, but I, it was huge for me. Um, or I had sex only when I went home for the summer. Mm. Um, and I was just like, oh, wow, does it mean to like sort of not have not be desired for an entire year. It really did a lot of number, a number on me that I didn't expect. Um, but beyond that too, I didn't, I didn't think, I think there was a hesitation around my work. I think some of my professors, um, couldn't engage with my work in a critical way that was useful for me. Um, I was also coming in to that MFA program with a book, in hand and a book under contract and a second book under contract um you'd with already a, published yeah, insert boy i'd already published insert boy right. don't call us dead had been announced as coming out on gray wolf wow um i had won the ruth lily i had did all this other kind of stuff and so i think and possibly in the mind of some of the faculty and i i i think in the mind of some of my fellow students i was already maybe a little fully formed mm. um and so i think uh i did not get the rigor of feedback um, that, I, that I was looking for or that I expected of my MFA program. Mm. Um, and maybe it's because the MFA, I think, is a flawed system. I don't think we teach people how to workshop in productive ways. I don't think that, uh, I think that it's easy to like say you're fostering community without really getting down into the dirt of what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt really, lo- I was also, I, I was still touring, so I felt really lonely. I didn't really have friends uh kind people but like I, I like yeah i was gone all the time i think when i was there people assumed i was gone um so yeah it was a very difficult time i didn't feel and i i like ended up saying sentences i never think i'd say like i i didn't know if i wanted to write poetry anymore mm. um at a certain point um and i was depressed so it was like a straight up mental health thing too um, I was dealing with other people's depression mm-hmm. um, and like trying to help them manage theirs. I think I reached a breaking point and was having very scary thoughts about myself that I wanted to back out um, and like reevaluate. And then I think it wasn't worth going back after I backed out mm-hmm. um, just for a personal perspective. Um, and it also, I, I wanted to, 
have more to show of those years than a degree. I could have toughed it out and finished it, I guess. Or I don't, I don't, I don't think I could have toughed it out and finished it. Um, I think I would have been, I think I would have ended up harming myself. Mm. Um, but I think uh, in another world, I could have toughed it out, but I still wanted to have a rigorous investigation of poetry that I don't think I allowed myself. Mm. And I don't think that I was too heavily pushed towards. How did you know that it was time to, I, it seems to me like a it was a breaking point. Yeah. It was decision. a breaking point. Yeah. Um, I thought about leaving after my first year, but I tried to stay, uh-huh. I think it was, you know, the election that just happened and it really felt, and I, I, what happened was I went, there was this amazing thing. Shout out to Nabila, Love, uh, Nabila Lovelace. Um, she invented this, uh, brilliant, um, brilliant, brilliant platform called The Conversation, um, along with Aziza Barnes. Um, and um, that week of The Conversation was like a tour of it was about 15, 16 poets all touring across the South. Um, and that happened in my last semester that I was in grad school. And for that week, I was so lifted and happy <laughs> and uh and excited about poems in a way that I hadn't been in my entire time at grad school. Um, and it reminded me of being at Cave Canem in a lot of ways. And I said, oh, this isn't that. And this doesn't, like, if I can't experience this, like, love of poems, then I don't want, I don't, then that, then I will not call those institutions knowledge, you know? Um, like, let me go towards institutions that bring me joy um, and that excite not only my spirit, but my intellect. Um, and so I left. I left. Um, I think maybe one day I'll go back and try to get MFA. I would love to teach. Um, if anybody's listening to this and you're willing to hire me with uh, with a BA and a National Book Award finalist status, then holler. Uh, <laughs> I will take your job. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just wanted better. I wanted better for me, for everybody. And I just didn't think my time was well served there. Um, well, it's yeah. also, you know, I mean, you're raising a really, a, a really thorny and interesting set of issues um, because if someone needs an MFA to teach, which I'm not sure they do, but most people who teach do have MFAs, and if the MFA is a kind of um, inherently flawed mm-hmm. um system mm-hmm. um, that needs to be rethought and that needs to be reinvestigated. And I do, I do believe very strongly that, that um, almost all of the people who teach in MFA programs who are really thoughtful are rethinking mm-hmm. the way that they're doing it. You know, they're not doing it in the, in the traditional ways, but if the MFA is the place where you, where one is modeling a really problematic uh, kind of dynamic um, and ending up with students who are feeling like, I don't know if I really want to write poetry, which is the opposite, obviously, mm-hmm. of what you want. And then those are the poets who are teaching. You have this total, yeah. you know, positive feedback loop of something that you don't want to be a positive feedback loop as opposed to um, a model that's really much more based on Cave Canem, a model mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's... You know, I guess the, I guess the question for me is, you didn't get the the real close um, and useful uh, critical feedback that you wanted at the MFA, and 
you didn't have the feeling of being desired and you didn't have the feeling of community um, and and the the way in which the the institution and I don't think this is just only the particular one that you went to um, uh, the way in which community is formed in a kind of very thoughtless mm -hmm. manner um, okay so let's say someone hears this and they call you up they email <laughs> you and they say Dinez yes I want you to teach um, what are you gonna what are you gonna bring from Cave Canem your experience mm -hmm. at Cave Canem or your experience other uh, experiences that you've had and maybe some of the things that are in opposition to what you experienced at the MFA what are you going to bring into the classroom how would you set up um, the ideal uh, MFA space for someone like you or mm -hmm. for someone that you really want to to thrive yeah I think I would spend either the first couple of weeks or if I could the first semester mm -hmm. um, of an MFA program not workshopping um, we could write, <laughs> yep. we could read, but I don't think we need to workshop in that first semester. I think we need to get to know each other in a real way. Um, and I think what like Cave Canem has is that because it's like all a whole bunch of people coming from like the black diaspora, there's a certain amount of, um, there's a lot of conversations that we've already had without speaking to each other. Um, just by coming in that room mm -hmm. and looking at each other. We already know, <laughs> you already know. And so, there's, you know, we're starting at step five, okay? Um, but in an MFA program where we're talking about bringing in people from such uh, such diverse backgrounds in every sense of their background and identity, um, across race, across gender, across class, across sexuality, across region, across writing experience and reading experience and taste and style, there's got to be a way like you just can't throw that into a room and expect gumbo to happen. I think you just sort of get a mess a lot of the time. Um, and so I would like to spend some time doing some intentional community building, um, really getting to know each other, really getting to know how we think about the work um, and how and what we find to be useful critique um, and what we find to be rigorous thought and what we find to be um, a um, a style of like reading and a pedagogy of generousness. Um, and so I would really like to get that set in the room, um, which also like, when I think about Kave Kahnem, like because we're starting at step five, but also the biggest part of Kave Kahnem for me is the opening circle. Mm -hmm. um, the first night, uh, everybody goes around the room and explains why they came, why, what led them to Kave Kahnem. It can last all night, which is beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. it takes a couple hours to get through that, but you need that. Um, and I, I don't know if the MFA really allow, I, at least I don't think we ever allowed ourselves that space to really be that open with each other, um, about what we were really coming in with, um, and who we were, uh, was sort of getting to the work. Um, and I, yeah, I would like to like, I want to take some time to like see the whole student before we really dive into critiquing people's work. Um, and I think from there we can actually give a generous critique and like not be surface level. Um, yeah. And we can really dive into the poems. And a lot of times, you know, it's hard to critique because I think this is what happened with me sometimes. I was writing deeply personal and political poems um, about um, about blackness, about how that operates in America, about police brutality. I was also writing a lot of poems about. Um, HIV and my diagnosis mm -hmm. um, and like what it meant to live with that diagnosis at the time and I think 
there was some hesitancy of like to how to critique it mm. um, because of its content, but I was just worried about the craft at that point. I would, you know, uh, and so I think I want to set up a space where like I just want nobody to have the same MFA experience I had. I want I want us to like really focus in on what community can look like, um, what workshop can be, because I don't think the model of workshop that a lot of us exist in is working. It's really emotional. I mean, I think it's a really, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, speaking as I, I'm remembering my own MFA experience and also what it's like to be in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel really, um, I feel like, uh, getting to teach graduate students mm-hmm. is holy work. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I mean, I I say this to my students, but I feel like my only job is to say, keep going. Mm -hmm. And, but there's lots of ways in which you can say, keep going. And there's lots of ways in which if you're not careful, what you think is you being helpful is actually heard as something is wrong with you. You should Mm stop. Um, Or you're not okay. Or I don't understand you or something like that. And I think, you know, for me, um, you know, I had a part of my life where um, I didn't think I was going to get to teach. Mm. And so I w- worked as a labor doula. Um, and so, you know, going to people's births and, and like, you know, I can't, I can't take their pain away mm-hmm. and I can't actually change anything about mm. the experience. And yet, like recognizing that being with someone in that situation is completely like life changing mm-hmm. and even on the physical level. So I really think of it for me as 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 that kind of work, that like kind just of work, being yeah. with someone. Um, and you know, I think like also we're so caught up in like a capitalist model mm-hmm. of workshop where we're so focused on like the product of like how did I get what I needed for this poem? Did I fix the poem? Is mm-hmm. it you know do, do how many poems do I have? How many did I get? How many poems did I get out of this MFA program? And like mm-hmm. that is such a that's not how real writers work. Like you just said, you know, that that it wasn't until towards the end of Cave Canem that you started writing poems at Cave Canem that were like, you know, um, poems that, that, that stayed with you. Mm-hmm. And yet, in some ways, the opening circle, both literally and figuratively, like the, that experience of, of really opening yourself up to other people and taking mm-hmm. other people in is the most important thing. Not, uh, you know, I got this good poem. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a transactional uh, kind of model of mm-hmm. education, which I think, like, I mean, I don't know how to get rid of it because people do pay for these things, or blah blah blah. They get, well, the thing we pay for them, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I always so like, I'm hesitant to tell people like to go get an MFA mm-hmm. um, for this reason because we've created this MFA industrial complex, right? Um, where we have people like paying into these programs and like we're turning out however many students a year who are who are competing in an increasingly crowding market um but the things that the mfa offer are things we can find in the real world you know what i found that the mfa was really trying to offer me uh i'm sorry i think this i want to say this a lot before but i think i couldn't uh but you sparked it for me again so thank you uh (laughs) it brought it like it's supposed to provide you with community but Mm -hmm. you can i i like i had that you can find that um it's supposed to provide you with like a community to like push you in rigor and like a community of readers uh, and a community of like study or like a, like a guided study and book list. Like 
in a lot of ways, I think like there is also the M- the the MFA of the community, um, or the MFA of like just living your goddamn life, mm-hmm. um, that I think is just as valuable. And I I wonder, I wonder about what it means for us to imagine um, the professionalism of a poet being locked inside of academia in yeah. this way. Um, when I think that there are a lot of ways to, we all can come to that same conclusion. Um, without having to pass, or not conclusion, but we could all come into equal playing field with that without having to pass through the gates of the MFA. Right. Which is how it used to be. It just used to be about, are your poems good? <laughs> can can right, you well, somebody else how to do I that? I mean, there, there, were, you know, there were mentorship relationships. Mm-hmm. There were yeah. community relationships. I mean, you know, it's also true that, that before the MFA or when MFAs were not so prevalent, there were yeah. other p- gatekeeping problems. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. you know, so, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, Robert Lowell had the guts and the nerve and the rudeness to go camp out on, you know, Tate's lawn until he, like, took him to Kenyon. But, like, nobody else was going to fucking do that. You know, mm. like, and so I, I think that's, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, I mean, I do ad- advise a certain kind of person if they can get the MFA paid for, if Most it's going to give them for, right, do it. yeah, do <laughs> it, and 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 also, but also this question I think is is a really important one too. It's it's you know don't go into debt, don't go somewhere geographically or or otherwise where that you're gonna you're gonna be harmed yep. because that is the opposite of the of what. I think the MFA is good for mm-hmm. what it, what potentially it's very good for is that it can be a more democratically open inviting space. Yeah. The the saddest thing is that it often isn't. It yeah. has the potential and then it it often will not lead, you know, it will not live up to that either because someone is the only person of color in the workshop or the mm-hmm. only queer person in the program and 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 everybody's sitting around going like uh, you know I don't know how to read this as if like, really, you don't, you, you don't live in the fucking world. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And I think the problem too, is that we, you know, it was kind of, we were talking earlier in the class, um, about how part of the writing process is also just your living. Yeah. And I wonder what happens when we put people in spaces where the MFA is the only living that they're doing. Um, and I think that's what happened to me. I didn't, the rest of my life wasn't lush. And so, I like only had these poems to go to and this institution to be a part of, Yeah, you know? Um, And the way in which like academics and institutional academics often pit living and learning against each each other. other. (gasps) It doesn't work for, it can't, and it can't be that way for creative writing, especially. I know. You know, our living is our work, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think uh, the MFA program I went to did do a good job of like, giving us a lot of time mm-hmm. but all, but i think it was then it, then it became it was the exact thing you're talking about a question of space right you know and like that that city was not set up for um a young nigga like me mm-hmm. to to live and thrive yeah mm-hmm. so so talk to me about like how your life is set up now <laughs> you know and and ha- yeah. is it is it working for you yeah what, what so, do you still need to tweak or i moved back to minneapolis mm-hmm. um and and so my life has been my life is kind of like very easily shapeable mm-hmm. um since about 2014 um i've been a full-time artist and so um I, i'm like blessed to like get enough emails to come read poems that i like can pay my rent um and so and, and i'm very grateful for that 
Um, so I really get to like make my life my life. Um, so I live in Minneapolis where I'm from originally. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own little apartment. I have an office now. It's all great. Um, outside of your apartment or no, inside? No, no, no. Inside the apartment. Uh-huh. But I, like I, always, writing I have space. a room. I will have a room that that's like dedicated to writing. Wow. Which is always what I wanted. Yeah. Okay. I wanted a room where my computer Wait, lives. Wait, can you describe it? I've like, I really. It's a tiny little yeah. sun porch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like big enough where like you can like it's small so like all you can do is like really like, you can stand up and make like a like a five step circle around the room. Okay. Um, do you have stuff on the walls? I have um, a portrait um, that I bought in New Orleans. Um, that's like a black woman um, at a pump in the middle of a field, and like her her house is kind of off in the distance. Mm. Reminds me of it. Kind of reminds me of like my like great grandmother. Mm. Um, and I, I thought so too. And then my mom came over and looked at it and she was like, oh, that looks like Grandma Georgia. And I was mm. like, oh, I was right. Um, and so, yeah, as that, it, um, there's, it's a whole bunch of windows. Yeah, so it's a little sun porch. Um, I have a dry erase board on one of the walls where I, um, if, if I'm having trouble writing an image, I try to draw it out. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I just like, so I use that to just sketch things that are in my mind if like if the literal image of it comes to me before the actual uh phrasing of it um and yeah a little humble collection of books i have like this like cute leather beanbag chair um Mm. that i take naps in and read books in um and some dead flowers and a printer and a picture of my friends (laughs) what do you see when you look out the window um my neighbor's window Mm-hmm. Um, the one, the one. If I'm sitting at my desk, I see my neighbor's window. Um, if I'm facing, or it faces the street, and so if I, I like, I like it because um, the street is often busy. Not less so now because they're doing like two years of construction on a bridge that's right by my house. So now my neighborhood is a lot quieter than it used to be. <laughs> um, and but I like catch, catch bits of like people's conversations standing on the bus stop and stuff like that. Um, it really gets a lot of great sunlight. Um, at, late at night, I can hear like all the conversation and music that's coming from the gas station across the street. Um, it's a cute little place. I like my little office. It's just, it's a good sunny little room. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my life is cool. Like I, 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 there's a couple other writers um, in the city who uh, who also don't have full time jobs. So we all meet up, go write, and send emails together. Um, I there's a lot of different schools and organizations that I work with and so when I'm not on tour um, I'm trying to like get in as many classrooms and work with kids however much I can Mm. Um, and then I get to like hang out with my grandma um, who's retired and like just want somebody to come over there and sit with her so I'll go do errands for her Mm. um, or just go sit she'll make me dinner Um, I get to yeah I feel like I get to live a lush life and I think I get to make love and how I love people very much a practice mm. um, yeah that's beautiful I love it that is beautiful mm-hmm. and um, what what is there that I mean I hate to turn that beautiful moment of gratitude and um, and the sort of peacefulness of being desired and mm-hmm. in that way and mm-hmm. having this lush life but like what what's what is something that you would like to bring into that into this life right now and or add to oh. you know um, without being greedy i didn't mean to be like what don't you have yeah. yeah um no i think uh you know i think um 
I, mi- I think I miss working the job a little bit. Mm. Um, and I've told myself by the time I turn 30, I would like to have a job again. Um, just because, like, one, it, I, I would like a steady paycheck that is not, like, because one day I might not be a good reader of my poems or people might stop asking me to come places and read poems. Uh, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I can't imagine that yeah, either. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, never know. Um, but I like being home and, like, I think... Um, I'm getting to a point where I, I really appreciate all the travel, but I think I could travel a little less, mm-hmm. um, or I wouldn't be mad if I traveled a little less. Um, and so yeah, I would like to like put my foot into something and like be good at a job again. I think it's rewarding mm-hmm. to be good at work. Labor feels nice um, mm-hmm. in some ways, you know. Maybe that's uh, capitalism doing its magical trick on me, and I hate it. But but I like labor. Um, yeah, working feels good. Uh, what was the job that you were doing when you were doing the 20 minute BART commute and yeah. writing a lot of these poems? I was working um, as sort of a national liaison between um, You Speaks um, and Brave New Voices, which is an org out in California who's like one of the larger, um, definitely well funded uh, youth poetry organizations in mm. the States. Um, they do a huge festival covering the voices um, that I went to when I was a teenager um, and now work for. Um, and I still do work for them. Uh, so I was working there in like a formal way, working on their national programs, um, working with a great team and a great staff. Uh, and the reason I, the only reason I left is because I got, it was a really good 2014. Um, uh, I got the McKnight Foundation grant, which is a $25,000 grant for um, artists in Minnesota. Um, I got that in March, um, and then I went like part time, um, and this was also the same time I figured out I found out about McDiagnosis. Um, so like I went part time to write. I wanted to like use my McKnight to like do some writing, um, and I also wanted to. Uh, to I just would need to take some time for me, and like I was like kind of like yeah when I got diagnosed, I went through some depression as a lot of people do when they first get diagnosed. Um, and so I just need to take some time to figure out and just kind of accept a new thing about my life. Um, but then I ended up being a finalist for the Ruth Lilly. Um, and I told myself, okay, Denez, you've always wanted to be a full-time artist. If you get the Ruth Lilly, which was another $25,000, like you will have enough money to like quit a job at least for a year and just like see what can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up getting the Ruth Lilly. Thank God for the Poetry Foundation. Um, and so I quit my job, you know, and I was just like, cool, like I love y'all a lot, but... I'm going to try to take this chance just to see. I've always wanted to just make art for a year. So let's see what can happen. So yeah. I did that. Yeah. And I, don't answer the question if it feels inappropriate, but like, um, how do you manage uh, your health insurance? Um, this is something that I hear a lot that people who don't, you know, want to stop a regular job, mm-hmm. um, but they're really worried about um, losing access yeah, to yeah. really good health insurance. Yeah. yeah. Um, so luckily, Minnesota is a really well-funded state mm-hmm. um, when they have some really great programs. So um, so I d- actually don't pay for health insurance mm-hmm. that is paid by the state. Um, I make just enough money <laughs> under <laughs> underneath the requirement, uh, which is thankfully pretty high, um, at least for a, pay- for a full-time artist, um, that uh, if you have HIV, like you can get your prescription paid for and you can get your health care. 
provided for. So I'm like just barely under that limit, thank mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope to not make more money than that, or at least to hide it from the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are, these are like real things. They are real things, because healthcare yeah. is bloody expensive. If I, if I was paying for it, I think it'd be like a $400 a month premium, mm-hmm. um, which I could not afford, you know, especially on top of student loans and all this other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so I am very appreciative um, for the laws in the state of Minnesota that, mm-hmm. um, that try to help folks who are, who like, you know, I mean, if I don't have medication, then I'm on a slow roll to death. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. that hope. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, what are you working on now in the beautiful sunlit room that I can now picture mm-hmm. with the beanbag chair? Yeah. And the, yeah so in my beanbag chair. And then I have like a regular stiff chair. Oh, okay. Um, it's not just, it's the two chairs. It's big enough for two chairs. <laughs> I think that, that says a lot about the room. Do you ever let someone else in or is that like a really Into the office? private space? No, I, yeah. no, it's like for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I even like close the door to it when people come over. Uh-huh. It's just like, this is my room. I like um, it. Uh, I'm working on a collection about friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I, I, we talked about this in the class too, but I, um, after writing two books and where that felt very urgent and felt like they were like sort of pouring out of me in a way. Um, and that felt like I needed to write them. And like, these are like the things I must say if I'm ever gonna say a thing. I feel like now I'm getting to write the things I wanna write and I'm mm-hmm. having a lot more fun with it. Um, and I feel like it's a very Ross Gay turn of the third book. I think, uh, you know, Bringing the Shovel Down was like a very hard book, I'm assuming, for him to write. So it makes sense uh, that Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude um, was his third book. Um, and so my third book will also be about joy because <laughs> I love Ross Gay and I just want to be him. Um, we all do. I know. Yeah. I know. So yeah, it's about friends and like, you know, the living and the dead friends, mm. um, you know, and it's about more of the joys of friendship than the bad parts of it. Um, or what happens when friendship turns into something that is not, um, as lovely. Um, and it's really fun to write. It's so fun to write. It's so fun to write. I just get to like make fun of my friends and poems. Um, and yeah, and I'm trying to keep going. It might be a big book or I might just make it a big book and then make it a small book after. Um, so yeah, it's really, really fun to write. It's really, really, um, I don't know. It's good on my heart. Um, I'm also working on a novel. Um, and it's in the baby, baby, baby stages. I'm like drafting it out. Um, the novel is about, um, and this is, I'm a copyright this. So if I see this in a movie, I'm gonna sue you Paramount. <laughs> um, but uh, it's about um, time travel. Cool. Um, so basically like we have figured out um, how to jump backwards in time. Um, and it's very expensive though. It's like a luxury thing that Got the rich it. people do. Um, and so there's a couple whose uh, child dies in an accident. Um, and later on, like as they're sort of grieving through that process, the mother decides to jump back mm. um, in time and save the child. But the problem with jumping back is that if you jump back in your stream, then you sort of disappear from your timeline. Mm. Um, and like now you're just going back to like sort of figure out this old funky one. Um, so we see how their lives continue her getting her child back, but not necessarily like getting the life that she thought that that implied mm-hmm. and him, uh, dealing with the ramifications of, uh, I have had, like my wife left me, 
Um, and like my son, my child died and my wife like chose my child over grieving with me. Wow. Um, at least that's the first story. And then I think, yeah, and then we're, that's the first, and we're kind of expanding the world from there. Yeah, but those, that's what we start with. What led you to want to write this novel? Was it? I talked with my boyfriend. We were yeah. just like talking about like sci-fi uh -huh. <laughs> and like we just sort of dreamed it up and I was like, oh, okay, that's the novel. <laughs> but was it like, oh, I can only tell this story in novel form or was it like, you know what? I want to write a novel. What would I write? That, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah I want to write a novel. I think I've had like three different novel ideas and uh -huh. like I think eventually they will all get written. Yeah. Um, but it was just sort of like, yeah, I want to write something like purely fun i want to tell a story i want to have fun um i want to write something that is just not so much not about me it's about mm. the fucking straight people uh, <laughs> which is just not my narrative um and so i just want to have fun and i think there'll be some queer somewhere else in the book uh -huh. um but yeah i just wanted to have fun and just really play uh -huh. i think i'm gonna move to play right now i love i love that and I'm so I'm so glad that 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 kept coming up in the class too. I mm -hmm. feel like that's my students have this like real idea about work, mm -hmm. and I really want them to think about play. Yeah, it's really it's beautiful. Um, do you have any new stuff with you? Are you ready to read anything yes, that's yes, new? Yes. Oh, fantastic! I would love to. So exciting! And I think I have it saved to the phone, so I don't have to turn it on. Oh my gosh, you're the best. All right, so I'm going to read a couple things from the new manuscript I'm working on. Um, okay, this one is the first one in the book. It's a little longer. Um, not now. Okay. Um, so it borrows. It's, uh, it's thinking about the like idea of like roasting your friends or like making fun of your friends. Um, and it starts with, um, with a line from a, the title of a, is a line from a Woudini song. How many of us have them? Friends! If I may interrupt right quick, I know y'all are working, busy smoking and busy trying not to, busy with the kids and moms and busy with alone, but I have just seen two boys, yes, black, on bikes, also black, summer children, basketball shorts and they outside shoes, wild laughing about something I couldn't hear above my own holler, trying to study the wheel and not hit they asses as they swerved, friend drunk, making their little loops, sun lotion faces screwed up with that first and cleanest love that we forget to name as such. And hear me out, I'm not trying to diss little dude, but in this golden hour, he kind of looked like Francine off Arthur. Same monkey mouth and all. Old and I say, hey, looking ass boy, though in a beautiful way. The most beautiful. Same, I know all of us have looked like something off when backlit by love. Oh, loves, y'all ugly asses have crowned me the worst names. Wayne Brady, a gay Wiz Khalifa. All kinds of bitches and fags, though only with my bitches and fags. Uh, all kinds of shit and once the mark of buddha that year acne scored my forehead with its bumpy faith my niggas and my niggas who are not niggas i've been almost pissed myself almost been boxing been tears and snot off your dozen wonders been the giddy swine dancing above the flame oh my many hearts y'all booty face weird ass mojo jojo looking asses dusty chambers where my living dwells roast me Name me in the old ways. Your shit talk is a river I wade and howl in until it takes me. I can't stop laughing. More river wades down my throat. 
could be drowning, could be becoming the water, could be a baptism from the inside out. Don't save me. I don't want to be saved. I've been died laughing, been seen God's face, and you have her teeth, my nig. But hers ain't as yellow as them saffron shits you keep stashed in that glory foul mouth, my friend. Oh, my friends, my niggas, my wives, I got a crush on each one of your dumb faces, smashing into my heart like idiot cardinals into glass. But I am a big ass glass bird, a stupid monster, crashing through the window, then becoming it just to make you laugh. Andrew used to say, friendship is so friendship. And ain't it? Even after Andrew gave it on over to whatever, he was still my nigga. Even when they turned his body to dust, he was still my dusty ass boy. Don't you hear it? The dust on the fan calls me a bum, says my hairline looks like it's thinking about retirement. The dust in the car says I look like a chubby slave, says I look too drunk, takes my keys, drives me home. The wind is tangled with the dust of the homies, carrying us over to them, giggling in the mirror. Hear them. Hear your girl tease you about your hair on the bust. Hear them rolling when you sweep the broom across the beaten floor. I miss them all the dead how young how silly to miss what you will become i apologize sometimes it just catches up in me you know love and ghosts just get caught in us with like wind and birds trapped in sheets just the same and my friends Yes, they is some birds, some chicken head motherfuckers who I would legit stomp a nigga out for. Do you feel me? When they buried my nigga, I put on my Tims, walked into that hot August and tried to beat his name out the dirt. I beat the earth like a nigga. I threw hands at the earth like a punk motherfucker and the ground chuckled, said, my nigga, what is you doing? Can't you hear the wind drunk off Kendrick Lint? Can't you hear that, that great roll from way off like a big nigga laughing in the alley? How your auntie laughs when she see that you still ain't grew into that big ass head? How your real friend laughs when they see that you are still the same ugly as yesterday, as always, as the last life? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how, can I ask, um, how does it look on the page? Um, so I'm calling this form a dozen. Oh. Um, so I'm, it's like playing off the idea of the dirty dozens. And so um, so it starts with um, a single line stanza, um, then a couplet, a tresset. And so it keeps on going until we get to a 12 line stanza. So. You've been holding out on me with all these invented forms that have names. <laughs> Telling you, a dozen. a dozen. Oh my god. Okay, and just, and are and are there are there? I think I think I'm gonna try to write one more. Uh -huh. I think I'm the way I'm thinking about it in the book um, is I think I'm probably gonna open and close with a dozen. Does the book have a title yet? Uh, homie, um, mm -hmm. or um, homie on the outside, and then on the inside of the book, my nig. Oh yeah, you said. Yeah, oh yeah. right, you said this. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. But I think I've been thinking too, um, because that phrase um, that my friend Andrew um, is famous for, "friendship is so friendship." Um, I think it holds a lot of resonance for me and a lot of um, a lot of his other friends. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been thinking about maybe possibly titling the book "Friendship is so friendship." Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, both good titles. Um, 
And do you have like days when you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work on this book or are you like, okay, no, I got to work on the novel or like what, what's your, do you, or do you just the novel do what like you want? pretty much in draft form for me because uh-huh. I'm traveling too much. And I think the novel requires me to like do a little bit more, um, just like hard sitting and writing. Yeah. Um, so I'm just sketching it out and then I have a residency in uh, February, mm-hmm. where I'm just gonna be uh, have a like place for a month, awesome. and my goal there is to get like a like shitty draft of the novel out, uh-huh. um, and also like finish up the book, um, or finish up the collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are days when I think right now what I can handle when I'm on tour is poems. Mm. Yeah, poems are easy because I can enter and exit them. But I think for me, and I've discovered this. I, I wrote, I've written some plays before too, and I think. Uh, Anything that has to do with narrative requires a lot, a lot longer sit from me. Yeah. Um, and a lot longer of a meditation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Prose in general. Uh, and it's also hard for me to keep it all in my head when I'm at the book stage. Mm-hmm. So that, that seems really much different than poems. Like somehow the poems, they're like pieces that I can move around in my yeah. mind. But I can't, I can't, I can't do that in the same way somehow with prose yeah yeah anything narrative this is, this is going to be my first kind of soiree into long form prose mm-hmm. um so i'm sort of going in taking the gloves off and just trying to work it out um but what i have written like a couple short stories and stuff like that it's always yeah i need to be there yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to read another one yeah oh yay i'll totally read one another one um Okay, I'm going to read a... Okay, this is going to be sadder. <laughs> I, I should always read these in the other order. I don't know why I'm always reading sad ones first. Um, all right, um, so this is a series of little letters um, to suicide. So I'm trying to write to the topic of suicide directly. All right, so it's called Notes. Dear Suicide, how is the war? Is it eating? Tell me of the girls charging backwards into tides, death's wet mouth lapping their ankles, knees eyebrows. Tell me of the sissies like drunk fireworks, rocketing into earth, after image burned into river and cement memory. How is the war? Does it have a wife? Does she know how the bodies got in her bed? Dear suicide, I know your real name. I bind you from doing harm. I enter the room like a germ. I say your name. It is my name. The walls cave around me like a good aunt. The windows hums, the door door rocks me. The dresser leaves to go make tea. The room knows my name. It binds me from doing harm. Dear suicide, I planned it good. Lay down in the yard, dab sugar water on my eyes. Let ants take me to see their world bit by bit. But that wouldn't work. You are not my kind of boy. I'm a slow girl. I could blow your mind if you take your time. But you like fast cars and bridges, motor revving in the garage. Dear suicide, where are you keeping my friends? Every cup I turn over holds only air. I jimmy open a tulip expecting Andrew's face but find its yellow heart. What have you done with him? Yesterday I took off my body, beat it on the front steps with a broom and only dust. Not one of them came giggling from my skin yelling, you found me. Not one of them I called for was already in my hand. Dear suicide, you are a mutual friend, a wedding guest, a kind of mother, a kind of self, love, 
a kind of freedom. I wish you were a myth, but mothers my color have picked the ocean over boat, have sent children to school in rivers. I know niggas who just need a quiet. I seen you dance, it made me hard. I would not deny you what others have found in the sweet mildew behind your ear. I know what happens when you ask for a kiss. It's all tongue, you don't unlatch. You suck face until the body is gone. Dear suicide, but you made my kin thin air, his whole body dead as hair. You said his name like a dare. You've done your share. That one, I promised him I would kill for him. And my nigga is my nigga. And my word is my word, dear suicide. Where are you? Come see me. Come outside. I'm at your door, suicide. I'll wait. I've taken off my earrings and vaseline my face. I put on my good sweats for this. I bought no weapon but my fist. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, the poem is just like reverberating in my mind, so that's why I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm like in that, um, afterglow mm -hmm. of, of deep listening. Um, God, the rhyme gets so intense there. There's like a Sylvia Plath moment there with the air. And mm -hmm. um, I was gonna ask, what does it feel like to be writing these new poems and this new book and the novel also um, while you're kind of also at this moment where your first two books and especially this most recent book have been so well received. There's so much excitement and you're shortlisted now for the national book award. Like, does it feel like pressure? Does it feel like permission or neither? Um, it feels like permission. I think, um, I think with this book, especially, I feel like, um, but don't call us dead. I feel like, okay, I am a poet, <laughs> you know, like, I think like, I like, I'm done. I feel like I'm done with imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, you know, I like, I walk into rooms and I'm no longer surprised I'm there. Um, you know, I like full heartedly believe I am a good poet and like, I deserve the things mm. that I have not and like, not hopefully not in like a toxic ego way, but like in a way that's like, I'm done denying myself good. Was there a particular, what was the thing that, or was it a process or what, what um, was it? I think it was, you know, I think like, I just had a lot of people even before the book came out just being like, this is going to be a big book. Mm. And I was just like, I don't know what that means. So stop telling me, that. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think it was because they read it and saw it. And I think the way, only way they could describe it is like other people, I think like other people will see this. Mm. Um, and so I think it was like, I think when people started telling me that, I was like, okay, the coolest thing that could ever happen is to be long listed for the National Book Award. Like, you know, just put me on the long list. And I didn't need it. I didn't want it. I would have been totally fine without it. Um, but I was like, okay, if like there is like one like thing I would like write in my diary about, it's like, dear diary, the long list would be cool. Mm -hmm. And then that happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh shit, okay, cool. I made the long list. I don't, nobody else talked to me about the shortlist. I don't want to think about it. And then the shortlist happened. Um, and I was like, what the fuck? And so like, I'm like, I, I had to hold myself back from saying like, I didn't expect this. Da, 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 da. I didn't expect it, but I like, didn't want to like make my first reaction to it, be pushing it away. Mm. You know, I wanted to accept it. I wanted to hold it and be like every, you know, 
I think there are like many books many times over that deserved it. Um, but I'm also gonna like cherish it while because I have it. Um, and yeah, and I think that's maybe what I'm trying to like find like in a new humility is like not like being humble, but like not also not like trying to give away your things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, or discredit the things that you have. Um, because so, other people would do that for you. <laughs> other people would tell you you don't deserve it. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I think it's just. Uh, wait, what was the question? <laughs> kind of, well, so what's myself. it like to be writing these poems? Oh, what's it like to be writing yeah, these poems? In, yeah, yeah. There we go. In that state. Um, yeah, and I think it. Uh, it feels like permission. It feels like. Um, it feels like also okay. Like I have to do something different, mm. you know. Um, and I like. I think the the next book. Like I think. Uh, I think insert boy and. Um, and Don't Call Us Dead are definitely related. Um, and I think, like, I think there's a clear, I think Don't Call Us Dead is, like, definitely, I, I feel like a more mature and stronger poet in Don't Call Us Dead, um, or at least a different poet. I, like, I'm not trying to shit on Insert Boy. I love my baby. Um, but I think, like, you know, thematically, um, they do share a lot of themes, you know, and I think you can look at, like, some of the things that are, if you look at don't call us dead you can see and then you go back and read and so you can sort of see some of the seeds of like things that like i was trying out that then really got to come to fruition um and don't call us dead um but i think this new book feels like then like now another chapter um you know it feels like a very different voice it feels like very different topics it feels like a different book um and sort of like i feel, i hope it's like the hope is to then like you know to i want every book to be better um and so I maybe I think it maybe raises the task a little bit, and I'm also and I think it's going to be hard because I think the question now that's starting to pop in my mind is like, well, and like it's the ugly voice that I hate, but it's just like, well, Denise, what if your third book doesn't do as well as your second book did, you know? And so, I, but the task right now is just to write it, yeah. you know, and just let it be, and I'm just to be proud of my work, and I'm proud of my work. Um, but it does feel like permission, yeah. I think like it feels like. I, I, I think uh, the, the the book award, especially, I think it's a life-changing thing. Um, and I often, I, I just don't think I know quite how my life has changed yet. Nice. I'm glad, I'm really glad to hear that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, seems like it's kind of like uh, the opposite and hopefully with much more force as those moments when you didn't feel desired. Hmm. Um, you know, now you're really... Yeah, and I feel, feel public. I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. I feel pretty good. Um, all right, I want to ask you one more question. You know, I have a list of questions that my students came up with mm -hmm. when they read your book, and and so uh, one student really wanted to know um, how your perception of homosexuality has changed since becoming H since knowing you're HIV positive, and also your expression of religion through poetry. How has that changed since your diagnosis and? How is my expression? Yeah. How is my perception of homosexuality? Yeah, changed. And I, you know, it's a weird question. The phrasing of it is a weird question. Yeah. I think that um, the reason I was like, I'm not going to ask it. I'm not going to ask Denise that. But um, it's coming from a young gay man who wants to, I think, know. I mean, I think you answered this. I think you you answered different questions that are mm -hmm. going to give him the the answers that he's looking for which mm -hmm. have to do with making a life that is filled with joy and well-being mm -hmm. and friendship and community and vulnerability to extreme sadness mm -hmm. and loss um but i think 
I think that, you know, the change happens in Don't Call Us Dead. Like we, it's like almost like visibly, physically present in that book. Mm -hmm. And I think the question is about maybe how has your, how is your feeling about writing poems changed if it has? Um, I mean, you said now I feel like I was writing the poems I needed to write and now I'm writing the poems I want to write. Does that have anything to do? You know, I, I don't know exactly. I should have let him ask it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I <laughs> think, now I'm talking for I him. Mean, which I think is never like, okay, like when I got diagnosed, what happened was I had freaked out. And like, I think like I had to like, and like, I think the poems in the book read like I'm going to die tomorrow. Um, because I also was like touching my own mortality in a way that I hadn't before. Um, not that I hadn't thought complicated, you know, like had thoughts about my own mortality, but it was also new. I was like, ah, oh, shit, here's this new actor in this play. Um, and so I, yeah, I like wrote those books, like, cause I felt like I was going to die tomorrow. I just was like, needed to like, I needed to be sad as fucking those poems. And, um, I like felt in like, in many ways, I felt like I was writing my last book. You know, I like, I felt like I was, this was like, well, this is number two and it's also your swan song today. Mm. So like, right away you can. Thank God for medicine. Thank God for health insurance. I'm fine. And I will be here for a while. Um, but in the midst of that, it was, yeah, it was very, I needed to like write my like little sad girl poems. Um, and so I don't know if my relationship to homosexuality has changed at all or how I view it. I, I, I still, I still like penis. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still do things with it. I still ask for things in my butt. Um, and, uh, I still do it well. Uh, I don't know what, yeah, I like, and I still like believe in love and I still like, you know, still date and I still whatever. Um, I still like go dance and I still like have the same gay ass friends that I had before. Um, um, so I, I don't think what it has changed. I think if anything, it's made my life more precious to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has made me, um, realize how uncareful I have been with myself. Um, and so I think like really on the other side of the diagnosis, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. Mm. Um, you know, with an asterisk maybe, but the healthiest, um, and I just need to like live in that. Um, and I think like with religion, I don't know if my relationship to religion changed when I got diagnosed. It changed once I realized that there was not space within the Christian church for somebody who um, believed and lives the way I do. Mm. Um, and so there, my thoughts for religion have been changed since the time I was you know, 15 and willing to admit some things to myself. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily about the diagnosis. Um, and I don't think I give it as that much power mm -hmm. over my life. Thank yeah. you. I, th I think that's, thank you for answering that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's, I think that's what he needs to hear. Yeah. Or what he was looking for. Do you still, um, do you have a relationship with God, even if you don't oh, have a relationship yeah. with the I church? Oh, yeah. I love God. Yeah. I love me some God. Yeah. I, mean, I think like, you know, I think, I think what has happened was, is it's like, I, I, I realized I believed in God, but wasn't necessarily part of the Christian body. Mm. Uh, but then I also like started to think like, well, maybe like there's like, I think I'm more um, utilitarian than anything now of like thinking like there is definitely like a higher power that I call God. 
um, that other people might call universe or whatever they choose to call it. Maybe they call it many names. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe that there are many paths to him. And the path I know and like can maybe talk about is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I still believe that he was the son of God and like uh, rose and dead. But I also think that, you know, the prophet Muhammad is legit. Uh, and I also think that, like, you know, I think there's a lot of many truths and a lot of a lot of doors into the one great house. Mm. So I still believe in God. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Anything you wish I'd asked you or that you want to? No, this is great. About? Awesome. This is awesome. Dinez, thank you so so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. This has been episode 41 of Commonplace, Conversations with Poets and Other People. Commonplace producers are Nicholas Fuenzalita, Christine LaRusso, and James Ciano. Our advisor in all things is Daniel Schiffman. Music written and performed by Moses Zucker Gorin. Design work by Eitan Darwish. Thank you to HMH Books, Yes Yes Books, BOA, and Grey Wolf Press. Thank you all so much for listening.